Well, hi, everybody. Thank you so much for dropping by. The uh, call-in show uh, was slightly delayed because of technical thrills and excitements. It is Monday? No, it's not. <laughs> it is Sunday, March the 23rd, 2008. And I hope you're doing fantastically. Uh, happy dead Jewish zombie dude guy day to uh, all of the people uh, out there. And I'm going to, uh, this is just a preview of a podcast I'm hopefully going to, or a videocast I'm going to get going tomorrow. Oh, and just by the by, I uh, hit almost 2,000 views on YouTube yesterday, which I must say is not too bad. So um, this is from an article in the Global Mail, Saturday, March 22nd, 08, from News A3, taking Christ out of Christianity, leaving, sadly, just inanity. And uh, this is from a woman who's named uh, Mrs. Vosper, or Mrs. Vosper. She has written a book published this week, with or without God, why the way we live is more important than what we believe, in which she argues that the Christian church, in the form in which it exists today, has outlived its viability, and either it sheds its no longer credible myths, doctrines, and dogmas, or it is toast. She is considered one of the best, if unconventional, minds within the United Church, Canada's largest Protestant Christian denomination. She holds a Master of Divinity degree from Queen's University, and a Ph.D. in Elvology from the University of Tolkien and was ordained in 1992. She founded and chairs the Toronto-based Canadian Centre for, for Progressive Christianity. Other Christian clergy and theologians have talked about the need to dramatically reform the doctrines of a faith that, with the exception of its vibrancy in the United States, has lost huge numbers of adherents throughout the Western world it once dominated as Christendom. In Canada, where 75% of the population self-identifies as Christian, only about 16% attend weekly services. Uh, a number of leading theologians in Britain, where the decline in adherence is more dramatic than in Canada, are on the same path. People like Richard Holloway, blah, 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 who cares, blah, blah, blah. But so this is the part that I think is the most interesting. She says there's been virtually a consensus among scholars for the past 30 years that the Bible is not some divine emanation or, in Miss Vosper's acronym, Tawagfat, the authoritative word of God for all time, but a human project filled with contradictions and the conflicting worldviews and political perspective of its authors. And yet, she says, the liberal Christian churches, including her own, won't acknowledge that it is a human project, that it's wrong in parts, and in, then that, in the 21st century, it's no more useful as a spiritual and religious guide than a number of other books. She says now that the work of biblical scholars has become publicly accessible. The, church, the churches and their clergy are caught living a lie that few people will buy much longer. I just don't think we can placate those in the pews long enough to transition into a new kind of community that doesn't keep people away. She wants salvation redefined to mean new life through removing the causes of suffering in the world. She wants the church to redefine the resurrection as starting over new chances. She wants an end to the image of God as an intervening all-powerful authority who must be appeased. In order to avoid divine wrath, rather she would have congregations work together to define God as according to their own worked-out definitions of what is holy and sacred. Ah. <sighs> So, I mean, this, of course, I'm not saying this is mainstream Christianity by any stretch of the imagination, but here you can see the beginning of what in many ways could end up being the end. And that doesn't necessarily mean a good thing. 
uh, Christianity ended in Russia in 1917 for a certain period of time, at least politically, during the Russian Revolution. None of us would call that a massive leap forward, but rather backwards or sideways into a gulag. But here we can see that um, the bullshit, uh, she don't work so well no more. And here we can see that this is just a con, right? It's like, oh shit, they're not buying the myths. They're not buying the, the bullshit. They're not buying the superstition. So let's redefine it as something else. Let's just make up some other bullshit that hopefully people will swallow. Why? So they can keep giving us money. These guys think, this woman argues that the church needs to focus on things like ending world poverty and global warming. Which, of course, is just... Uh, <sighs> religion and socialism is just with God or without God. With the state uh, and this kind of mysticism, you get socialism. Without it, you get... And with God, you get religion. And uh, you could see this. There's the twisting kind of thing. It always reminds me at the end of the Terminator 2 movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, puts that silver thing into the, the, the globule uh, guy into the, um, into the vat of fire, and he twists into every single person he's ever tried to become in order to try, to try and escape his fate. That, of course, is the kind of horror that goes on with these kinds of people. Because, of course, <laughs> if it's been known for some time that what they're selling is complete and total bullshit, right, as she's saying, well, the problem is that because of the Internet, word is getting out about what biblical scholars are saying, which is very similar to what happened when Luther got a hold of the uh, Bible and translated it into what was then called the Vulgar or the Vulgate, um, into, into the vernacular, and people actually read what the Bible said, then you've got a splintering of Christianity now that people can get a hold of these biblical scholars and their actual analysis of the amount of um, bullshit and misdirection and bad translation and so on that goes on to what is called biblical analysis, that they're just not going to buy it anymore. And, I mean, the success of capitalism, the success of medicine, the success of science can't remain unnoticed. And at least, I know it's not so much in the United States, but in, certainly in Western Europe and in Canada, to be, to be overtly religious is just considered to be kind of retarded these days. I mean, we don't know any overtly religious people. There are people who are religious, you don't know about it. But to be sort of in your face and try and save you and Jesus and this and that, it's considered maybe half a step up from shaving your head and trying to grab change at the airport from people. So uh, it's very interesting, of course, to see just what these bullshit artists do. Oh, shit, they're not buying the God thing anymore. Global warming, poverty, <laughs> speeding, moral centers, whatever. Let's make up a myth. Let's redefine God. Hey, you're not going to give me money for God anymore? What do you want to define God as? And will you give me money for that? Nope. Okay, let's redefine it as this. Will you give me money for that? Nope. See, it's got nothing to do with religion. It's got nothing to do with God. If this woman no longer believes in a God, shouldn't she give all the money back that she took over the years? All right. Yeah, shouldn't she uh, give, uh, give all the money back? Yeah, she should give all the money back. I mean, if you've been selling something, if you've been, if you've been selling salvation to people for money, if you've been taking money for something which you claim to be true, and then you say, oh, shit, now that you've found out what the real scholarship is, you no longer can believe it. You shouldn't redefine it to just, I mean, if you have even a shred of ethics or integrity, you should say, holy shit, we should give all this money back because what we were selling isn't true. What we were selling doesn't work. What we were selling is false. What we were selling is a lie. I mean, shit, that's how it even works on eBay. Can we at least hold the self-appointed clergy, the moral defenders of the souls of mankind, can we at least hold them to the same moral standards we would hold somebody we ordered a DVD set of the second episode of Friends from Arkansas to? But no. 
<laughs> the fact that the um, what they sell is a lie doesn't give anybody the impulse to ask for their money back. Also, of course, if she is uh, moving, this uh, I haven't read the book, and I don't think I could actually have the stomach to plow through this amount of saccharine, sick, shitty crap. But um, what I don't see in this article, and what I doubt is in the book, is this woman saying, well, shit, you know, if there's no God, then there's no such thing as the church. If there's no such thing as the church, church then we better revoke our tax-exempt status and stop paying property and income taxes. I wonder if she's going to say that. I wonder. I wonder if that's a movement that she's going to be uh, getting into. I somehow doubt it. Anyway, that was sort of it for an intro. I'm going to do a little bit more on that uh, later. I'm going to do a little bit of this. I want to look up some of this biblical scholarship so we can see. I don't know what she's talking about because, I mean, I gave up on biblical scholarship once I found out the whole virgin birth thing was just a, <laughs> quote, mistranslation and, of course, was shared with dozens of other religions as well. So I haven't. But I'd like to check out sort of what people are saying about this biblical scholarship and what the average congregationalist is getting a hold of that is making them so skeptical. But uh, I'll do that a little bit later this week. So uh, anyway, that's it for my intro. Uh, Rantlet, I guess you could say. Uh, don't forget to check out The Philosophician at freedomainradio.com. We're getting a couple of, I think it's about a 10 feeds a day, people using it. I've been posting some of the better feeds uh, on um, uh, on the board at freedomainradio.com forward slash B-O-A-R-D. Don't forget to pick up your copies of the books. The $79 shipping included book deal is now done, over, finished, gone. Sorry if you didn't make it. Uh, it may come back again, but not for quite a while. Uh, as a backup, though, we have uh, all four uh, of the uh, Freedom Main Radio audiobooks, including the audiobook of The God of Atheists, the audiobook of On Truth, The Tyranny of Illusion, Universally Preferable Behavior, A Rational Proof of Secular Ethics, and Real-Time Relationships, The Logic of Love for $49. It's over 40 hours. High-quality audio, just in case you just weren't hearing enough of my voice. So uh, come by freedomainradio.com, pick those up. You can get all four PDFs for 39 bucks, And uh, I would say that uh, these are amazing, wonderful, powerful, life-changing books, and guaranteed the God of Atheists will make you laugh. So... Uh, and if you don't like the st stuff you get, just let me know. I will give you a complete and total refund because I am not in the clergy. So uh, thank you so much for that uh, pitch. Don't forget to go by um, freedomainradio.spreadshirt.com to pick up your FDR swag. And uh, now I turn it over to the lovely, talented, velvet-voiced listenership. Have you gotten any good feedback back from your uh, Banana Republic uh, Help a DRO Poor uh, video? Uh, yeah, there's lots of comments uh, on that. Um, it's uh, uh, not, Sadly enough, uh, I haven't gotten any offers as a comedy writer from using the fabulous Banana Republic joke, but um, apparently fruit comedy is on the outs these days. So, uh, Or fruity comedy, uh, we're not sure. But uh, yeah, there's been some positive uh, feedback uh, on that. Uh, of course... Uh, every um, uh, every uh, hasty typist on the planet seems to descend upon YouTube when anything remotely intellectual is put forward. Uh, and so there have been some comments, uh, as usual in the YouTube world, that are not particularly helpful or enlightened. But uh, certainly people have found it uh, very, very helpful. And I guess uh, the, <laughs> the one that was a complete throwaway for me, job interview skills, just topped 30,000 views. So <laughs> that's some free advertising for us, I guess. And um, I perhaps should re-record that so that it's not me yelling away in a bad mic at a car. I haven't quite decided, but um, 
so yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's cooking a lot. Yeah, I really liked that argument. Uh, I never heard that version uh, as as far as basically if you want welfare, you need a dictatorship essentially. Uh, I really liked that. Uh, I think the only other uh, only other spin I've put on it myself is basically to say that uh, if uh, if you have fifty one percent of people and that supposedly uh, represents the the majority, then you know uh, you got to figure how much how much of your tax dollars are actually going to helping the poor. And you, you know, if you did the the numbers on that, I'm pretty sure if you gave, you know, 20 bucks or something like that, it's probably more than what's actually going to the poor. And you can choose what charity that goes to. And actually, 51% of people actually supported that. Then you'd figure what's the need of the state. Then that would be my spin on that. And when you look at the amount of money that goes to the poor relative to what goes to uh, the bureaucrats and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, you know, it's pennies on the dollar that actually ends up making it into the hands of the poor. And what happens is you get this massive swelling uh, of um, uh, information, uh, uh, sorry, a swelling of, of bureaucratic ranks and so on. And of course, the endless rules, right? Because if you give people lots of welfare, then it's a disincentive to work. And uh, if you allow them to work on top of welfare, they'll use the welfare as a base and then have a part-time job to increase it. So you've got to cut that back. And you've just got to have rule after rule after rule after rule, which causes the, um, the bureaucrats to multiply, yay, like the bottle flies on an eyeball. So, um, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that, that – but to me, that argument is not particularly uh, clinching. Uh, what I'm always trying to do, rightly or wrongly or successfully or unsuccessfully, is to just come up with an argument that people can't wriggle out of. Or if they do – you're never tempted to argue with them again, right? So I'm always trying to say, look, by your own definition, this can't work. This is impossible. And that's what the argument for morality and the Banana Republic argument is really all about. Because somebody could say, well, yeah, but still, I prefer to, um, I prefer that everybody donate to the government or get taxed by the government because even if less money per dollar makes it to the poor, there is uh, so many more dollars that are out there because of this taxation that, you know, there's lots of things that people could argue if you take the ethical standpoint out of it. And so if you can say to people, look, um, as I sort of say in, in that, it, it, what you want is a dictatorship. And if you're comfortable with that, then I'm going to run screaming from you. But what you what you need to, to establish your system, to have your system work, is a dictatorship. And you're going to have to give ultimate power to a very few people and then expect or hope your system will only work if they use that power in a perfectly ethical way. And I mean, there's just nobody on the planet who's going to argue that, I think. Yeah, well, I certainly thought your argument was a bit stronger. Uh, I, I just uh, I, I thought about that was my version of the argument before, but certainly uh, I'll be using that one in the future. Well, and people don't like to use, I mean, not saying you, but people don't like to use the moral argument. They don't. I mean, you saw this uh, this debate on um, Friday night with this uh, Sean fellow from Ex Omniverse, or his, I think his name. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, just listen yeah, to that. And he said, of course, that the, the UPB argument won't work and uh, doesn't work. So naturally, of course, uh, if somebody says, I took your pill and didn't feel that, oh, sorry, your pill doesn't work, I'll say, well, did you even take it? And if they say no, then obviously I know that, that their resistance to it is psychological and not empirical. And uh, of course, people don't like using the argument for morality because it is so explosive. And a huge amount of intellectual and libertarian ink is spilled in the water in an attempt to avoid this moral argument because it puts you right up against people's ethical natures and the true realities of your relationships, uh, personal, um, business, political, familial, and so on. So, 
people will love to create, I'm not saying you, right, but people love to create lots of complicated arguments about stuff that don't ever require them to have to face the uh, moral uh, reality of what people mean when they advocate statism. Certainly. Did that, did that conversation ever come to any solid conclusion? Like, uh, I wasn't really sure when I, when I came to the end. I was like, okay, so, so now what? <laughs> it's kind well, of what, was your, uh, what was your experience of the conversation? Um, I, I felt like, you know, because I thought like at the beginning when he was talking more about uh, the more Randian philosophies, I'd be like, okay, I can agree with most of that. It seemed like you guys agreed on a lot. And then I was almost kind of confused on what the, I mean, I guess I'm not 100% sure on what the actual outcome was of it at the at the end, as far as like, uh, it kind of felt like the one with Aaron, where it's just like he started in the same spot almost, where it's like, okay, we agree on a lot of things, and that, then you started talking about UPB, and then it's like, I didn't feel like I got the strong sense that, uh, you know, okay, I can see how that, and I'm going to give that a try kind of thing, but maybe I mis-listened. Mis, uh, well, what was your experience when he said that the definition of uh, virtue is that which supports a, um, a long and happy life? That was his definition, right? Mm-hmm. And when I pointed out to him that these, were mutu- these could very easily be subjective and mutually exclusive terms, um, what was your experience of that moment? I would say that was a pretty confusing and kind of a way to cloud it felt, it felt a bit definitely felt cloudy in the sense that uh, uh, could have been avoiding something I'm not, I'm not 100% sure well I mean tell me what you mean by cloudy if you could just a little bit because I'm curious what people's responses are to these arguments uh, and there's certainly other ways that I can go with them but I'm always curious what people's experience are when they see somebody put forward a proposition that in about three minutes is pounded into dust. I'm just wondering what people's experience is of the other person's, like of, of Sean's response to that. Sure. Uh, I guess I would say cloudy because it seems like, uh, uh, or I shouldn't say the, should, shouldn't we say seems, but I would say that uh, if you're, it's, it's trying to slip subjectivity into the, into the debate on something where you're trying to make it more concrete with UPB. Well, uh, but uh, sorry, I, I appreciate that, and I, I agree with you, but um, for me, when something is self-evident, I don't need to pursue it, right? So if someone comes up to me and says, I have proven uh, a unified field theory which explains the behavior of all matter, right? And they hand me this 100-page proof, and on the first page it says, 2 plus 2 is 5, right? And then if, they, if I say, well, on the very first page of your 1,000-page proof, you have uh, an incorrect assumption, which must mean that the remainder of the proof is invalid, right? Yeah. be like uh, reading a physics paper on the first page. It says fairies are the cause of all things in the universe. Right. So if somebody says, look, I, I'm dedicating my whole life to discovering unified field theory. Uh, here's my proof, and they hand it to someone and then the root of that proof is proven to be contradictory within about three minutes. If somebody is really concerned with finding a valid unified field theory, what, what should they do? Uh, they would, uh, uh, I suppose they'd be, they'd be curious about what the truth is. I mean, if someone says it's, it's something else, then they'd want to know what their, what their proof was so they can make the comparison. 
I'm sorry, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> I'm sure it makes sense, but just not to me. Oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm being incoherent today. Uh, um, sorry, I might have to start over on that. Uh, well, let's let me just ask the question again, right? So, I come up to you and say I have proven a unified field theory. I give you a thousand-page proof, and you glance at the first page, and it says, if we assume that 2 plus 2 is 5, then, and you say, well, wait a minute, 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 5, what should my response be, if I'm rational and if I'm really concerned about the truth? Uh, I, I guess you refute that first, and then say, well, if this is what everything else, if all your arguments far, follow this false premise, then uh, I can't, I have trouble taking, taking you seriously. Again, I, can, I think I'm seeing where the cloudiness comes from, and I'm not sure that it's coming from Sean and myself, <laughs> if you don't mind. Possibly. Because <laughs> uh, I'm not sure possibly. what you're saying. <laughs> right? It all sounds a little vague to me. I'm going to try one more time. If I come up to you and I say, I have proven unified field theory, and my proof requires that 2 plus 2 is 5, and you say, but 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 5, and I don't refute you, I, I from there. certainly feel frustrated and angry. I, as far as my feeling, uh, I'm not. I guess I'm not sure how to answer your question. If I am genuinely concerned with the truth, and you prove to me that one of my premises is contradictory, what should I say? What should I do? Ask for the proof. No. No, because I don't have to have a proof in order for somebody else's thesis to be wrong, right? I don't have to have no. right field theory to prove that a unified field theory based on 2 plus 2 is 5 is incorrect. Okay. Uh, once again, I, I guess I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the response you're looking for is, because, I mean, uh, if someone said, said 2 plus 2 is 5, and they say all these things follow from that, then I would say uh, I'd have to address that first. Right. And what if I said, uh, okay, I agree with you, that 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 5, but let's move on. Oh. And are you asking what my experience of something like that would be? Well, yeah. I mean, what would, what would, would I be being honest? Would I have integrity? Would I, this kind of stuff. I, I would say certainly not. Right. Right. If I really am interested in mathematical consistency and proof, and I base something on 2 plus 2 is 5, and somebody says, 2 plus 2 isn't 5, and they prove it to me, and that doesn't slow me down at all, what does that tell you? Uh, that they're not interested in the truth. Right. Or if, if they are, they're interested in, in uh, whatever, uh, whatever their need is, instead of, you know, they're willing to discard the truth for whatever gives them pleasure, or whatever it might be that they want. Right, right. But they're just Avoiding just pain. This concept called truth to achieve some other end than the truth, right? I mean, or to dominate you. Or to UPB, and someone comes up and says, and, and I've spelled out UPB in this short article, uh, even syllogistically, right? So I've taken as much work as I can out of the minds of people and said, look, here's my syllogisms. They're broken down into, uh, you know, a series of statements that are not more than seven in length, right? So this is the proof. And so far that has stood for I guess over three years, with a whole bunch of people throwing themselves against it, and I think that it stands, right? But if I put out a proof uh, for ethics and break it down into syllogistical format, and somebody proves to me within a minute or two that my syllogism 
is contradictory and inconsistent and subjective, and I'm claiming that it is objective, then clearly I have to say, holy shit, <laughs> I better start again, right? Yeah, um, yeah, if it's something fundamental like that, uh, then that's certainly you'd have to, I mean, you'd have to rewrite the entire thing if that were true. Yeah, of course. Essentially. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm building a castle on a lake, right? <laughs> so I'm going to have to stop yeah. and start again somewhere else, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, do you remember when Sean was saying in our conversation, he said, well, the problem is that people are very concrete, right? That they just deal with... Yeah, I do remember that. And then I said, well, it seems to me that there are some very significant motivations that people have that aren't concrete, and religion and patriotism are two that come to mind, right? What was his response yep. to that? Um... I, I don't remember exactly. Well, I'm um, not surprised because it was a very confusing response, right? What he basically said was, well, God is both a very abstract and very concrete idea, right? In other oh, yeah, I remember that too. That didn't make much sense to me right. at all. So, again, he is, he is an approach to truth, right? He puts forward a thesis which says that the problem is that human beings are motivated only by concrete things. I provide some empirical examples of how the greatest motivations in life for people are not concrete at all, but in a sense are anti-concrete. So he puts forward a thesis, and I provide evidence to the contrary, and what does he do? And it's irrefutable evidence, right? I mean, people are highly motivated, motivated by patriotism and religion, just to name, even if we don't want to get into the family stuff, just to name a few, right? Um, and sports teams, right? I mean, <laughs> that's a pretty abstract thing to get addicted to, right? So, um, so he says people are too concrete, and that's the problem, that they only deal with concretes. I provide irrefutable evidence to the contrary, and what does he do? Does he say, oh, I guess you're right, people aren't concrete. Uh, I'm going to have to withdraw that statement. Yeah, that, that, was, uh, that, that definitely bugged me right there, uh, where it's essentially now concrete means is subjective now. It's almost, that's what I got, where it's like, uh, well, you see, concrete might be objective, but, you know, if, if it's kind of, if you're saying, uh, well, God is a concept, and this concept is concrete in people's head, heads, and that's the problem. It's, it didn't follow too much for me. What do you mean when you say it didn't follow too much? Did it follow a little bit? <laughs> it didn't follow. I'm sorry, I'm going to Sweden. Uh, Man, were you just getting Sweden? calls from Switzerland? Uh, Switzerland. Last couple of weeks. Switzerland, yeah. Sorry, I'm going to Switzerland right now today. <laughs> right. Right. No. So, so, no, it didn't follow. It, it, well, it, what we saw, of course, was, an ex was of somebody who puts forward a thesis, is provided evidence which contradicts his thesis, and then he simply redefines his thesis in a contradictory way in an attempt to jam two opposing concepts under the same rubric, right? Yeah, I would say it's probably the same thing that uh, minarchists are doing, uh, where they say, like, well, freedom's not, freedom's not that. We redefine freedom to this, and that's what freedom is. Yeah, I mean, it's like you if know? I say, well, my thesis says that balls fall up, right? And, I, and then someone says to me, no, here's video, balls falling down. And I say, well, yes, but my thesis includes that balls fall both up and down at the same time. Then clearly I'm just not being particularly, I wouldn't say that's particularly honest, right? No, I wouldn't say so. Right. So, and there were countless examples, for me, at least, in this conversation, right, where he would just, you know, make stuff up to cover his thesis, even if he was pre presented with internal I inconsistencies or empirical evidence to the contrary, right? Yeah, 
at, at the beginning of the conversation, I, I thought it might go in a better direction than it did. But yeah, w when you really started to con uh, started to uh, bring up some of his contradictions, I, I would have liked if he said, oh, I didn't think of it that way. I guess maybe I should reevaluate or something like that. I didn't get the strong sense like you guys were kind of working together to find the truth as I'm opposed sorry to, to you. you said you didn't get a strong sense that we were, were you getting a weak sense that we were doing that? Um, I, I guess at the beginning, I, I, I guess at the beginning, I could have seen that happen just because of the similarity of your guys' ideas in certain, in some fundamental Sorry, areas. I'm just going to have to, uh, what's happened is because of the excess of gas in the FDR pod, uh, my oxygen mask has dropped from the ceiling. What I'm going to do is just help, uh, Christina on with her oxygen mask, uh, because of the excess of fog in the cabin. Uh, and then, uh, I'm going to put my, oh, okay, please. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> No, you guys. I, I okay. I got. I got no sense that you guys were working together. But that's not truth. True. I, Look, I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to be abrupt, and I really do apologize for this. Sure. He was not working towards the truth. Right. It wasn't that we both weren't working towards the truth. Right. He mm -hmm. was. He was actively not trying to achieve the truth, but to defend a contradictory thesis. Right. Yeah. And it didn't bother him at all. In the conversation, when I proved that his thesis was both subjective and contradictory, didn't bother him at all, right? He just changed the topic, right? Yep. And it also didn't bother him that uh, he was redefining concepts that were completely opposed to match his somewhat off-the-cuff thesis, right? Yep. It didn't bother him that he claimed to have read UPB 1.5 times and didn't seem to understand it at all, right? It also didn't seem to bother him that he'd put out a video highly critical of UPB without understanding it and that he agreed that UPB was a good framework. He certainly didn't write to me the next day and say, you know, on reviewing this and on reading this again or listening to this debate again, I've, I've realized that my criticisms of UPB were invalid and so I've decided to pull the video, right? Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's funny, I guess because of the beginning of the conversation, I kind of got that idea that, you know, uh, maybe he could be a scientist, uh, I guess, in my in the way that I kind of think of that, where you're you're trying to use a a, a method a methodology to reach the truth. I kind of I, I at the beginning I did get that sense, but uh, then later on when you started to actually question him, then it it's pretty obvious that that wasn't true. I'm sorry, it was pretty obvious. What part of it was not obvious? <laughs> I'm doing terrible today, man. Man, oh man, you're like uh, you're like that creature from Lost, you know? <laughs> it's like I gotta have Elgin goggles <laughs> on just to try and scope you out. Gotta have night vision goggles on and feel for ghosts. What what do you think is going on for you? Why why is it so hard to come to what I thought was a fairly obvious conclusion about the um, intellectual integrity? It's in certain areas of the debate. You know, I have to say, like uh, this is a, this is kind of a, a reoccurring uh, uh, thing for me, uh, where essentially. Uh, you know, and even in our past conversations, I would uh, I would say a bit, or I would try to minimize things when I would talk about my parents and stuff. Uh, it seems really similar right here, because uh, I, I'm almost I'm I'm hesitant to say that uh, he's wrong. You know, but why? Um, I I suppose because I'm afraid that. Uh, 
I, I guess I, I'm afraid of being incorrect. And if I have, if I sit, if I stay in Switzerland, then I can, I kind of have that uh, place where I can, I can be correct or I may be incorrect. You know, I can, I can switch side. I can, it's, it's, it's a, I suppose it's kind of a way to, to do that. Uh, if that makes any sense. Um, no. No. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Let's try again on that. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Can you switch to Urdu? Maybe try that clicking noise, and I'll try a Morse decoder. <laughs> I'll uh, let's do it in PHP. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, give us another try. What does it cost I'm... you, actually, to say that was not um, a very honest debate on Sean's part? Or, or rather, you know, that, that, that Sean wriggled out of stuff. Sean uh, didn't seem to be bothered by his own contradictions. Uh, Sean didn't um, didn't say to Steph, you know, I didn't understand UPB. I think I've got a better appreciation of it now, so I'm going to go back and review the videos where I've criticized it, uh, and so on, right? Yeah. So what does that cost me emotionally to say that? Yeah, to speak the facts, right? <sighs> well, you know, I, I could see myself saying that, um, certainly, because I think there's good points that support that. Um, I Sorry, yes, I'm, I'm trying to point. figure out. I'm trying to figure out why I why I don't feel strong. Hello, strong, testing. testing. Hello. Yep. You said there were good points that support that. Well, that well, I would say that's true. That. Uh, I mean, there's a recording, right? You're not going off your memory of this after being beaten and thrown in the sack, right? Yeah. There's not good points which support it, right? There's a recording. Hello. Hello. Oh. Sorry, you might have cut off a little bit at the end. I'm not sure. It's uh, it's not that there are good points that support it. There is a recording, right? Yeah. Like if I say I've got a video of you, of you walking down the street and I show you the video, do you say, well, there are some good points supporting your thesis? Uh, no. What do you say? <laughs> I guess I walk down the street, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, and you bring up these contradictions that would have been, it, I would have liked it if you would have said, oh, I, I see what you mean. I'm probably going to have to reevaluate that. I'm not sure what you were liking it has to do with anything, if you don't mind me saying so. Well, no, there's not, I, that, that's irrelevant to it. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. It matters if it's true. Right. So what would it cost you to say, man, that Sean totally snowed you, Steph, right? Or tried to. Or whatever, right? Um, what does that feel like to, 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 defo to defog, right? We got the defu, now we got the defog. I guess I feel kind of uncomfortable in certain areas, uh, certainly. Uh, I definitely feel uncomfortable with that. And I'd say, I'd just take the certain... Uh, I take the, take the fogginess. <laughs> I would feel I would feel kind of uncom I would feel uncomfortable. I'm <laughs> um, sorry, Sean. You, your sound is just terrible. Uh, have you got anything else eating up your bandwidth? Uh, not right now. Let me see. Sorry about that. Is uh, is is it occurring for my voice as well? We just might have too many people in the call. We just might have to kick off, kick off the people who are only listening. No, I think I think it looks fine. Okay. Um. All right. So, well, we'll, we'll, we'll start. sound okay now? Right, but um, but so what is the emotion? If you come out and you say, "Look, you knew who was bullshitting, right? 
this is not a subtle thing, right? No. Yeah, that was. I don't think it was subtle. So. I mean, you also saw my face, right? What, was it on video? Oh, okay. So sorry, so, you didn't. Well, if you did, if you did see it on video, then you would have seen my face. But but you knew that he was evading, right? Yeah, certainly. So if you know that he's evading, what's wrong with saying he's evading? Um, I'd like to say nothing, but my actions don't seem to, to reflect that. Well, what it means is that you have a story about certainty, right? You have a mythology about certainty, right? So certainty is bad because... Um... I guess because it might be wrong. But you're not wrong in this case, right? I don't think so. You don't think so? Uh, I, I would, I, I don't know, I, I, I can't think of any reason to say no. But you're still, you're still not saying no, right? Yeah, that, that's the thing, is that, is that I'd, like, I'd like to say no and say no with confidence, but Yet, when I, yet I have trouble uh, being clear and, uh, you know, and, and uh, taking the leap to say uh, yeah, he was totally selling you stuff. Well, who gets screwed in this interaction, right? I mean, let, let's just look at the cost benefits before we go into the emotional side. Do you mean... Uh, who are you protecting and who are you throwing under the bus when you do this? Um myself? No. It does not protect you to pretend doubt and uncertainty where none exists. My mom? Well, let's just talk about this debate. I don't certainly been like that. Let's just talk about this debate that we had with Sean, right? Because that was the original stimuli, right? Yeah. It protects him. Right. And who does it throw under the bus? Me. No. Or, well, you, because yes. I'm well, not... Yes, me, of course, me, right? Yep. Because you're saying, well, you know, uh, Steph, uh, uh, it was sort of an unsatisfying debate. I wasn't entirely sure that you guys were on the same page or whatever, right? And you're talking to me about it, not to him, right? Yeah. Why? Um, I guess, well, from look at it straight, I mean, it's because you'll actually listen to me, and uh, it seems he would, or he would evade. Right, so to, to not to put it in too harsh a terms, right, but you shit on the more reasonable person, right? Um, yeah, in this case. And, you know, I mean, I have all the sympathy for your history and this and that, but we're just talking about your actions in the present. I can understand that. I wasn't my intention. I, I apologize for that. No, no, that's fine. Look, I, I totally understand it wasn't your intention. I don't feel that I was shit on. I'm just saying sort of this is what was occurring, right? Yeah, that's true. Right, because you were basically um, uh, uh, fogging his bad actions at my expense, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I'm sure that when your parents acted badly towards you, you didn't enjoy it when they fogged their bad actions at your expense, right? Uh, no, certainly not. 
Right, because they all, they're all with the justifications and the fogging and we did the best we could and you could be really difficult and we come from a different time and the resources weren't available and fog, 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 right? Yeah. Which means that you being angry is irrational and unjust, right? Yeah. If they have good reasons for doing what they did or if their actions are defendable in some kind of foggy manner, then your upset or anger towards them becomes an unjust kind of bigotry, right? Yeah. So you didn't like being on the receiving end of that kind of fog, right? No, no, not at all. But now you know what it's like on the other side, right? Consciously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess, uh, if anything, that uh, podcast is a cheap lesson. Well, I hope so. Look, and I, I don't mean this, uh, I don't mean to come down hard on you, right? I mean, look, I, mean, I have all the sympathy. I have all the sympathy for the lessons that you had to learn and what you had to do to survive, right? But just in general, there is this great curse when you are the most rational and reasonable person in a particular interaction. And let's just say it's me in this one for, for you know, for want of a better argument. When you are the most, when, when people know that you're not going to attack them, then people will look at you fighting with someone who's not being honest or not doing anything, doing something with integrity, and they will always rush to correct the most reasonable person, right? Yeah. Now, this is not exactly what you did. I mean, to be fair and to be honest, right? You didn't come in here and say, sure. Steph, why were you picking on poor Sean, right? But we uh -huh. do see this kind of stuff pretty continually, right? Like there was a guy who came on the board recently who kind of launched into me and said, you know, Steph, you just complain too much about your family, right? And that's why people think it's a cult or something, right? Yeah. And of course, uh, I don't see, I mean, my mom's not that hard to find, right? Everybody knows my last name. They know she lives in Toronto. My mom's not that hard to find. I don't know anybody who's called up my mom to say mm -hmm. that, right? And so when they look at a family situation where the parents are beating down and abandoning and brutalizing a child, the only person that, and again, I'm not putting you in this category, I'm just sort of saying, right, that this is a pretty continual thing that occurs, which we all have the temptation to do, which is we will just pick on the most reasonable person and fog them and express uh, discontent or upset towards them, right? So this guy sees uh, basically a history where a child was repeatedly beaten down by uh, his parents and by his uh, sibling, and the only person he sees fit to criticize is the is the child, right? The adult child who who talks about the abuse, right? Yeah, it's just like the cult accusations. Instead of going and picking on the Catholic Church, they come and pick on you with the guy with the board and the website. Right, right, sure. And and they, it is a kind of tribute, right? If nobody picked on me, it would be because I was abusive, right? The yeah. fact that so many people want to come by and pick on me or pick on us, right? Because it's not just me. It's been you too, I'm sure, at times as well. Whenever you talk to people about your passion for philosophy or thought or ideas or even FDR or whatever, right? It is, it is actually a badge of honor to be the one that people come to to pick on, right? If you'd gone to Sean to complain about me, I would not have been flattered. <laughs> Does that make sense? So it, there's a kind of tribute in what you're yeah, doing. If you don't, I mean, there's a kind of tribute in what you're doing, which is that you can come and say uh, that Steph, uh, uh, this was an unsatisfying uh, interaction, and you're talking to me about it, right? 
uh, rather than saying, wow, you know, this guy totally did a snow job in, you know, one to one level or another. So that's kind of, because you're coming to me and not to Sean, that kind of goes with the thesis, right? Because I was receiving all this nonsense from him and staying polite and positive, right? So that you know that you can come and talk to me about it, right? <laughs> so it's kind of a compliment. But at the same time, I don't think that you want to take that as a sort of approach to life in general, if that makes sense. No, I can understand that. Uh, thanks for pointing that out. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, there's probably something about that was wrong. Yeah, we, we all want to try and reward the reasonable and the rational and the kind people as much as possible. I mean, just in general, right? I mean, whatever you water grows, whatever you piss on doesn't grow, right? So it's just a matter. And this is not for me, right? This is for you and your life, right? Because you don't want to have this habit where you see an irrational person and a reasonable person and you go in and fog the reasonable person to prop up the irrational person, right? Yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's no good. Well, it's it's if for you, it's going to keep the reasonable people out of your life, and it's going to make you an excellent minion for the ir- ir- unreasonable people, right? Yeah, it's going to attract unreasonable people. Yeah, they'll be like, "Ooh, fog machine! <laughs> I can use that for my show, right?" Yeah. And I can see how uh, parts of my past where that would be beneficial to me, having that type of uh, the fog machine, essentially. Oh, absolutely. There's no question. There's no question uh, that that would have been that that was essential, not useful. That was essential for you when you were a kid. Yeah. Because I mean, in many ways, you were the most reasonable person in your family, right? I would certainly say so. Yeah, you were the uh, one who had to give way and make the compromises and appease people and so on, right? Yeah, exactly. So for you, certainty invited attack, right? Yes, and I, I figured uh, that had to, there had to be something there in my past that it's making me not come out and just, and, and like at the beginning, and just say, well, he's totally snowy stuff. And I can say that with certainty and... and uh, <laughs> well, and because I, I, and the reason that I'm spending so much time on this, and I really do appreciate you bringing this up. I mean, I really do. I think it was great. Uh, it's because I got a whole number of emails, both in my inbox. There was a couple of on the actual debate itself, and in my YouTube inbox, of people basically saying, "Why did you let him off so easy?" Right? What did you What did you respond to that? Well, I've or just uh, basically I haven't responded to too many of them because I was kind of busy, but. I'll just sort of say it here, is that it, it's not important for me to be certain that he's wrong because I don't want to substitute my certainty for other people, right? I don't want other people to, to look at my certainty and become certain from that. I want people to look at the evidence and become certain from the evidence, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's probably why you felt discombobulated after the debate, right? Because I wasn't coming up with a conclusion. But you had you had 90 minutes of continual evidence, right? Yeah. But I don't want to be a scientist for people, right? Because that's not the point of what it is that I'm trying to do. I don't want to come to conclusions for people. I want to give people evidence so that they can think for themselves, right? Yeah. I want people to be scientists, not to look at me, if that makes any sense. 
Because if I'd come to a conclusion, there would have been resolution for you, but no learning, right? No. It's hand-holding to a conclusion. Right, which wouldn't have helped you the next time that you're in a situation where you have to assess the evidence, right? Yeah. Or when I have to deal with someone similar in the future. Right. The whole point of being a teacher is to not give the answer, right? I mean, that's one of the problems with, for me at least, one of the problems with libertarianism or objectivism This kind of, is that Rand and uh, these guys all given answers, right? These are your conclusions. But I don't think that works. Actually, I know it doesn't work because it hasn't. Yeah. So if I'd have, if I, because I had a, a list, a two pages long of everything that he'd said that was contradictory. And I could have nailed him on every single one of them at the very end in a massive diatribe and then hung up, right? which would have been very satisfying for people and would have taught them precisely nothing. Yeah. How annoying am I? <laughs> no, but I think it was good that you, you pointed that out, uh, that pointed that out to me. Because it's, uh, it's certainly something I'm trying to be more aware of because I know I use a lot of foggy language and things like that. And for you, that, that equals being reasonable, right? Because the only people who were certain in your life in the past were assholes, right? Yep. So certainty exactly. equals being an asshole, and being tentative equals being rational, right? Yeah. yeah that's, uh, and, I, and, I, and from a from a conscious from a conscious point of view, I mean, I, from, you know, consciously when I think about it, and I say, well, of course, that's not true. It's, uh, but. I guess, uh, and, and and that's why I was thinking, like, is my actions aren't representing what I what I know consciously. Um. Right, and I agree with you, and I think that one of the things that I'm trying to do with the next phase of this conversation is kind of, and this is going to sound completely condescending, and I don't mean it this way at all, so I apologize in advance for the use of the metaphor, but it's the only one I can come up with. It's just kicking people out of the nest, right? Go do it. Yeah. Because it's only in the doing it that the real joy and pleasure comes, right? Because studying philosophy and thinking and, and learning and self-examination in the past and this and that, that's all fantastic and that's all essential, right? But at some point, you've got to graduate from medical school and actually start cutting into people, right? Yep. And, I mean, you've certainly been in the conversation long enough and I have an enormous amount for your introspective abilities and your intelligence and your commitment. But, um, you know... Even though I spend a lot of time you, uh, in Switzerland. I'm not sure you have an exit visa from Switzerland yet. I think you're going to have to just duck the guards and take to the hills. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. Before Ron Paul builds his wall. Oh, sorry. Go on. <laughs> yeah. I, I've noticed this is also kind of a similar pattern uh, that Allison has at certain times, too. Um, using the foggy language. Uh, her, her parents have some eerie similarities to oh, mine. Oh, it's not that eerie. <laughs> it just may seem that way, right? Yeah. Um, and and this, is, this, is, this is good stuff, right? And, and you've heard me nagging people endlessly uh, over the past month or two when people give me uh, fog lingo, right? And they say, well, it seems a little bit like this. And I'm like, okay, well, tell me. If it is ambiguous, that's fine. Then tell me what part is not like this, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, well, fine, that's not like that. <laughs> right? So this is just part of defogging us, right? Because, because it certainly is true 
that assholes are certain. I mean, that is just that, that's one of the definitions of being a jerk is that you're certain without good reason. But the fact that assholes are certain and wrong doesn't mean that philosophers cannot be even more certain because we're right and we've reasoned from first principles, right? Yeah, I think the way to put that into practice would just be to ask myself, if I say, if X seems this way, then I should I must also be asking myself, well, how does it not seem that way? You know, I should be asking that too. Um, so I can kind of help myself defog a bit. Or defog. Wow. <laughs> not even a bit. <laughs> You're going to need a pretty strong wind from Kansas coming through that, baby. <laughs> No, I understand. It takes a little bit of discipline to sort of look into that, right? But whenever you feel tentative, just say, well, I don't want to be unjustly certain, but let me reason through it so it's not just the default position of uh, self-fogging or fogging others, right? And, of yeah. course, you can practice this with, uh, with your girlfriend and, and, and talk to her about this, and she might find it useful. Because I'm sure she's got kind of the same complaints about you, right, that, that he's, like, uh, uh, he's like Casper sometimes, right? Yeah. On certain subjects, certainly. Although it's not Casper the Friendly Ghost in a little bit, it's Casper the Fuck You Ghost, right? But that's okay. I mean, that's part of what fucking is all about, right? I gotta be aware of that if I want to change it. I would say, yeah, I would say. Well, thanks. I do appreciate uh, you bringing that up. I mean, that was, I think, a very important uh, uh, topic. And uh, I guess it's uh, important to mention to people why it is that I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, I think everybody knows that I can kind of tear into people if necessary. So if I'm not doing it, right or wrong, I do have a sort of idea or reason as to why. And um, we shall uh, we shall see if it works. So thank you so much. And uh, is it okay if we move on to uh, if anybody else has a question? Oh, I'm, I'm on. Hello? Thanks, Steph. Okay. I had a just a general question about, like, the theory of the Miko system. Yes. Um... Well, if I understand it correctly, you know, these parts of us that seem kind of troublesome at times developed to uh, protect us at times. And when I listen to some of the listener conversations where you're role-playing with um, how you would go about having these conversations with yourself, I, uh, I, I can do the sort of thing where you're empirically debating about you know, whatever, but then you get to a point where you're like, well, I understand that, you know, in the past you developed to, you know, help me with this, or you're getting revenge on me for this, and that's sort of the part that I just, I'm really having trouble with, because I don't always, like, understand why that certain part of me exists. Do you have, uh, sorry to interrupt, do you have access to uh, probably, I would say, maybe half a kilo of powdered lithium? What? Just kidding. Because there's two ways we can go here, right? So uh, just pointing out. If you don't have access, then it probably would be a good half a keg of lithium. At least that's what worked for me for about 20 minutes. Uh, if we don't have access to the, med to the med bombs, then we can take another approach. Can you tell me um, what, um, uh, what in particular you're, you're talking about? I mean, what aspects of yourself or, or what conversations you've been having? Is there any reason why it's volumes down? Um, do you need a cue? Um, I'm sorry. Um, well, like, let's just say things like, uh, like the, um, greedy parts or, like, the vain parts or things like that. I just don't understand, like, what good 
they ever served. Or could ever serve, right? Okay, right. so can you tell me a little bit, uh, your call with the greedy part or the vain part, it's fine if you could just tell me a little bit more about these uh, aspects of yourself and, and what you've been conversing with them about. Um, well, sort of like uh, uh, when I'm... Sorry, we because you know, I've, part huh? of you now is that is that where we're going? What are we talking to the hesitant part of you now? Is that where we're going? <laughs> How many people are in the room. Yeah. Sorry, go on. <laughs> well, for instance, um, with the part of me that sort of starts to self-abuse about um, things like you know fitness or things that just really aren't that important like looks or something looks or something <laughs> looks right are, yes are you related to sean just out of curiosity do you guys have a similar passport or something <laughs> okay so let's just talk about looks and and to me this is a great topic if you don't mind uh, because Lord knows we all see these airbrushed wonder bodies uh, staring down from the magazine racks in the drugstores, right? And every time uh, I've been thinking for a while of doing a, a podcast on women's magazines called "Really Are You Guys Retarded," but I haven't. Uh, I wouldn't want to be uh, you know, necessarily um, alienating the fantastic new segment of female listeners. But um, but but you flip through those magazines, and it, it's all about you know. It's basically about vagina management as far as I can see. You know, how can I be attractive? What can I do? Who should I have children with? How should I mix work and family? I mean, this seems to be just a massive uh, management exercise. Um, and, of course, there's very little of any intellectual value in there, right? I mean, of any kind, right? Even psychological. Uh, the endless ads for, uh, you know, external makeup and so on and, and clothes and shoes and, and all this sort of nonsense, right? So uh, I think that we can look at vanity and this is from a male perspective, this occurs as well. It's not like Men's Health is a Mensa magazine, but um, just talking about the female side, there is uh, a challenge uh, in women uh, around vanity, right? Or around physical appearance? Yes. Excellent. So um, tell me about your relationship to that, if you would not mind. Um, well, it's just... It's really frustrating because I understand that it's just purport like it's not that important proportionally to like the amount of time that I think about it or I'm just sort of worried about um uh like I all start like all self abuse about like you know things that I'm eating or or something like that. And it's just frustrating because I realize just how stupid it is, you know. And is it uh, is it around um, is it around things that you can or have some control over, uh, such as weight or body image issues or exercise, as you say? Not that I'm saying you have any problem with weight. I mean, I don't think you do for what it's worth. But uh, is it around things that you can control, or is it like I don't know? If only my cheekbones were higher, or something like that. Is is or tall? If I were taller, or whatever. I don't know what 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 it might be. Is it stuff that you feel that you mostly have some control over and you worry about that control? Or is it kind of a sigh, I wish I had X, Y, and Z, which there's no real way to control? Um, it used to be more about things I couldn't control, but now it seems to be more about things that I can control. 
Right, right. Well, I know that Christina's solution is uh, to shift the control to controlling me, and that seems to have worked very well. <laughs> um, uh, the puppet mistress, uh, as she is known around the household, uh, and that seems to have given her a fair amount of, of, of relief, and of course me, since I don't have to control anything anymore either. Um, but uh, in case that's not a viable option, uh, so it's shifted more towards things like um, uh, weight or, or body image or, or exercise, that kind of stuff? Yeah. And what, um, what percentage of the day would you say you think about these, uh, these things or they cross your mind? I mean, the waking day. No, we won't count dreams. Um, maybe, like, five or ten percent. Right. And that's actually, I think, below the average for women as a whole. Right. So you're not doing too badly from that standpoint. Uh, I, I mean, just I, I certainly know that at least twice a day I will check and see if I've gained any weight. I don't know if I could have eaten enough to gain weight if it, between b breakfast and dinner. But still, <laughs> just taste. Right. I mean, is my muffin spreading? Am I raisin bran? Am I low fat cranberry? Uh, I need to check. Right. <laughs> so it's just something that happens. Right. And uh, it's probably been about 12 years since I haven't sucked my belly in. So uh, these are things that are not just unique <laughs> to women. Uh, so I certainly do understand all of that. But, um, uh, but, but you have a debate around this, this aspect uh, around vanity. And do you feel that if you did everything that you wanted to do or you could fantasize doing, do you believe that you would be satisfied? Like if you did eat exactly what you felt was the best thing and if you went to the gym exactly the right amount, uh, do you feel that that would be satisfying for you? Um, I really don't know. <laughs> so it's not a particularly goal-oriented oriented activity, right? And it's just something to note, right? Right. Okay. Okay, that's good. And for you, I th I think I think it would be reasonable if we can say that it's not a good idea to have no concern for your appearance, right? Right. I mean, going out with, uh, you know, a glad bag uh, and a, a captain's hat uh, to go to work, you know, might be efficient, right? Or, I don't know, you spray on cheese or whatever, right? I mean, it might be efficient, but it's not particularly productive, right? Right. And, of course, around appearance, there are certain things like, you know, showering and bathing and, and so on, brushing your teeth. Uh, that's partly hygiene and partly appearance, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think that we want to get down to 0% here, right? Right. You don't, want, you don't want to pull a Howard Hughes and end up clattering around like a tree slop with 14-inch toenails, right? I mean, we don't want to live on that planet, right? Right. Okay, so, so we're looking for a kind of balance here, right? Clearly, you feel that you are thinking too much about vanity or, or physical appearance or whatever, but the solution is not to banish all those thoughts from your mind, right? Okay. Right. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of appearance uh, in your family, or I guess particularly from your mother? What's your mother's relationship to appearance? Um, I know that she is just very self-critical about her weight. And, um, I mean, that's all I can think of at the moment. And is she overweight? Yeah. I mean, are we talking Dr. Phil with a crane or just a little bit? 
Um, what would you say, Rich? Like she's. Yeah, I'd say like a normal, overweight, middle-aged woman. So, like thirty pounds. Maybe 40, 50 pounds overweight. 40 or 50 pounds overweight. Okay, so she would be classified, if I understand this rightly, unless she's very tall. She would fall into the sort of obese category on the body mass index, right? Yeah. Okay, so she's not just a little chunky. She's not just a little heavy. She's like obese, right? Not morbidly, yeah. not morbidly obese. I know she can fit through doors and stuff, but she's obese. Right, right. Okay, right. okay. okay. And what do you think the purpose of your mother's fretting about weight while continuing to do those activities that keep her weight up? What do you think the purpose is of fretting about something that she has no intention of actually changing? Um, I don't know. But you do. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I don't know why people still say this to me, but they do, and I think it's kind of cute. But Sorry, go on. But do you mean like fretting about it to herself or to other people? Well, I bet you that um, uh, that uh, uh, fretting about it to herself is far more than fretting about it to other people, right? So either, it doesn't matter, right? But why does she fret about it? Because, I mean, unless you're like just one of the tiny, tiny percentage of people with some weird glandular issues, weight is just a lifestyle choice, right? Yeah. And you can do things. Uh, and look, I, I'm, no, I'm not like, you know, nobody's going to be uh, you know, scrubbing the laundry on my, my stomach. Uh, anytime soon, but I have maintained the same weight uh, with a few pound variation up and down since I was about 20. And I mean, I've done that through a fairly sort of conscious attempt to um, to just give up stuff along the way, right? I don't eat chips, I don't eat chocolate, I don't eat candy uh, anymore, uh, and that kind of just stuff. You switch to skim milk, and you know, I don't drink pop anymore. I drink like club soda with a little bit of orange juice. Just you just have to wind things down as far as your caloric intake goes. Yeah, your metabolism slows down 10% per decade after 30, and you just have to, no matter what you do, you either got to up your expenditure 10%, or you've got to cut your food intake by 10% per decade, or you're just going to, you know, gain about a pound or two pounds a year, which doesn't sound like much, but it adds up pretty quickly. So, so I mean, your mother certainly has the information, and there's a bunch of, of choices that she could make. Uh, so, uh, unless, again, she's glandular, uh, it's, she's just choosing to be fat, right, and, and choosing to complain about it, right? Right. And that doesn't mean that it's easy to quit, or I'm not, I'm not trying to trivialize it and just saying, you know, hey, well, stop. Because, I mean, food for women in particular is a very, very complex subject, which I'm barely competent to speak about it at any depth. But, but, um, but what is the purpose for your mother of, uh, of being overweight and complaining about it? I... Rich is... Sorry. Um... I'd say to I mean this doesn't sound like the answer but to have something to complain about Well I'm sure there's something to do with uh, with that um what about your parents sex life Sorry oh. <laughs> well, I'm sorry but uh, this is an important thing right I mean this is this is a core <laughs> issue when it comes to uh women and weight right Oh Right. Do you think that they still have sex? No. Right. Okay. So that's one aspect, right? Because uh, weight gain among women is often a kind of keep that thing away from me kind of thing, right? Right. 
So that uh, that would be one aspect of it to to make themselves unattractive, right? Yeah. So um, that's uh, that's a, a, a um, uh, that that's one of the the secondary gains to being overweight, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, and there's things like well, people expect less of you. Uh, that you also, if you are addicted to shame, uh, if you're if shame is your Simon the Boxer thing, then being overweight gives you. Uh, dare I say, ample opportunities to, um, to experience shame, right? When you try to fit into clothes, when you go clothes shopping, uh, when you go to the mall, if you're ever invited to the beach, if what, I mean, if there's, there's endless opportunities to milk the old shame cow uh, if you are uh, overweight, right? Right. And does, do you think any of that uh, is, is pertinent or relevant to your mom? Um, As far as her being addicted to shame, I do know some things about her history that would have created that. Like you being a bad daughter and all? Disobedient? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I understand. Is Rich crying? Do you need to put him on? Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> disobedient girlfriend. No, I'm sorry. That's just, I don't need to project all of my issues onto everybody else. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm getting back in the box. <laughs> I, have a little, I have a little thing, uh, like a little box, a little leather mace, uh, face mask that's sort of like that thing in that Tarantino movie in Pulp Fiction. Anyway, we don't have to go into that right now. But, uh, actually, I do, but you don't. Um, but uh, but uh, so there's a, a shame thing for her, a shame addiction. There's uh, intimacy avoidance with regards to, to the husband and so on. So there's a, a lot of dense psychological issues that are bound up in uh, not feeling uh, not feeling good enough or being addicted to negative emotions, right? Right. And um, I'm hesitant to ask this, uh, so just let me know whether this is a valid question or not. Um, to what degree do you think that that stuff also uh, affects you uh, in terms of um, uh, shame stuff, right? Because, because worrying about weight, uh, again, it has some validity. I mean, I can't for the life of me imagine how it is that people end up 50 pounds overweight. Like, I just can't, like, don't you notice that you can't see your feet anymore? Like, don't you just kind of figure, I mean, from, from a relatively slender uh, position. I had a friend once, he married his wife, his wife was like a buck ten, like 110 pounds or whatever, and she ended up being over 200 pounds within like eight years of starting the marriage. And to me, that's just messed up, right? I mean, don't you notice <laughs> that you just are like not who you were or more than who you were? Doesn't the husband notice? <laughs> you know, honey, I'm going to have to right. stage an interve intervention between you and the box of double glazed, right? I mean, I just, to me, that there's a whole process that goes towards becoming uh, obese that uh, requires a fair amount of fear in the environment, right? Because the reason that husbands don't intervene if their husbands start to gain weight is because they're afraid, right? Right. So is your dad afraid of your mom? Um, I don't, I, w I don't say in general he's afraid of her, but as, like, in that area, yeah, I'd say he is. Ah, interesting. We have an honorary Swiss passport for you. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, but you know why I said that, right? Yeah, yeah. Why? Because... Oh, I'm sorry. Um, 
Is he miming? Is that webcam on? <laughs> um, because that was a um, foggy answer. <laughs> yeah, and because you can't just be afraid of somebody you claim to love in a particular area, right? Right. Right? It's like, I'm only afraid of Christina when she actively strangles me in my sleep every other time. <laughs> Although she always claims to be dreaming. dreaming. So. Right. Um, but, uh, but, but if he's afraid of her in this area, then he's afraid of her, right? Right. We can never be less afraid than our most afraid moments with our partner, right? In general. Right. So there's a lot of passive aggression in here as well, right? Yeah. Because she's kind of, like if you were to, I mean, not that you would, but if you were to sit down and say to her, Mom, like I'm going to sit down here and we're going to work out this weight issue. And if this means you've got to go to a fat farm for two months and we've got to completely revamp everything, you're going to deal with this because it's bad for your health, it's bad for your joints, it's bad for your heart, it's bad for, you know, uh, you know the conjugal naughtiness with dad, it's bad for all of that kind of stuff, right? And you were to just sort of stand firm on that kind of thing, what would happen? She would probably break down in tears. Yeah, that may be the first step. And then what? And then she'd uh, get pissed at she me. She sure would, right? She sure would. Because to be overweight right. is to put people who care about you in an impossible situation, right? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, uh, and it's, like, it's like having any kind of dangerous habit, whether it's eating or smoking or drunk driving or whatever. It puts people around you in an impossible situation because you're broadcasting your unhappiness and your self-alienation and your shame addiction and all of these terrible, terrible things, right? And, of course, the cycle of things like insomnia, chronic pain, um, uh, depression, and uh, weight, uh, too much weight, these are all kind of tightly wrapped in, in a lot of people, right? So you're broadcasting all of this stuff to everyone around you, but the moment they try to intervene, you, you make them suffer, right? Right. So... There's a lot of dysfunction wrapped up in that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, my, um, my mom, of course, uh, well, not of course, but my mom was, was fetishistically attached to her own slenderness. And uh, my brother is, is very uh, concerned about this aspect of things as well. And uh, my mother, uh, I mean, the vanity was quite considerable, right? I mean, she actually had a nose job, um, I guess, about 20 years ago, maybe, um, because, you know, she thought, well, gee, why didn't I ever get remarried? I know. It's not because I'm an evil psycho bitch. It's because my nose is too big, right? So right. the solution, right? Uh, enough, didn't seem to work. And, and I could see my mother would, would continually, like, she'd pass by a, a mirror on the, um, uh, on the street. and Not a mirror, sorry, a, a shop window. You know that if it's sunny, you can see yourself reflected. And, and literally, like, it was obsessive. Um, every single time she would pass... Um, one of these shop windows, she would check herself out. Like she, it was like it was like OCD, right? Like she had to touch every sidewalk crack with her toe or something. It's like she could not. It's like I wonder if I've gained weight over the past three steps. Like it literally was <laughs> that much, right? And so I'm happy to write it down to twice a day. That's, you know, did I, you know, did somebody inject fat into my frontal lobes uh, over lunch when I if I napped, right? I mean, I'm happy to get it down twice a day. That to me is considerable progress. Um, plus, of course, I'm next to uh, calendar um, calendar uh, wife here, so uh, <laughs> got to stay lead. 
Um, <laughs> that's right. So, um, so this stuff is going to have some effect on you and the degree to which you, you think about these things, right? That's just an infection that passes from generation to generation. Right. Now, isn't it great that we've been talking for like 20 minutes or half an hour, got no solutions whatsoever? Do you think that's an accident? <laughs> Trying to come up with solutions. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the only thing that I can suggest, it's the only thing that's worked for me, if this helps at all, right, is that the vanity part of you was essential to your survival as a child. I guarantee you. And do you know why? No. How about you? Any of you? Anybody? Bueller? But anybody, you in the back with your hands up, the one who's made up like RuPaul, anyone? <laughs> well, um, okay, Let, let's, um, did, did your mom take you to church or to, to people's, like, were you dressed in the frilly smocks and so on, the, all the other things that we had in common? Yes. Okay, so give me an example of, of when your mom would, would dress you up in the patent leathers and frilly smocks and curly cues and your hair and all that kind of stuff. An example, like, well, like church yeah. or church. Okay, so she, you would be dressed to the nines to church, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, and let's say that um, uh, that you just didn't want to do that, right? That you said, look, Jesus walked around in a smock, right? <laughs> right. Jesus didn't even have a belt. I don't even think he had boxers on, right? Right. And, and I did do something like that. Right. So you said, look, I mean, if if uh, if Christ came to this church, he wouldn't be let in. Like, what kind of sense is that? And that's a line from Christina, right? Um, right. And this, of course, when, when she said that she had an admiration for that kind of slovenliness, man, I knew I had to marry her. I'm like, <laughs> beyond words. <laughs> but um, but uh, so uh, if you just said, no, I'm not going to be a vanity piece. Um, I want you to take my clothes. I want you to sell them. And I want you to give the money to the poor, just like Buddy Jesus says, right? Mm -hmm. What would have happened? Well, I mean, that actually kind of did happen, and I said, like, I think what I said was, look, if, if you know, God loves the poor, why are we coming to church looking really rich? And I, um, I think I got, it was like when I was around 10 or so, I just wanted to come to church in jeans, and I think I did get away with it, but it was like, very disapproving sort of thing. Right. So you did get away with it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, what happened for you then? Because that's a victory of sorts, right? Yeah. And uh, what happened then for you in your teens, right? Because if, if you went through this thing where it's like appearance doesn't really matter, did you go through any period that, where it did begin to matter more when you were a teenager? Oh, yeah, yeah. So what happened there? Right? Did Jesus abandon you? What uh, <laughs> well, I didn't believe in God at that point, but <laughs> sorry, go. We didn't go to church when I was a teenager or anything, but um, yeah, when I was a teenager, we, uh, I, um, it, it was mostly about you know trying to get dates, I guess. <laughs> right. That I. That that mostly mm -hmm. has to do with nakedness. I don't know what these magazines are all about. Um, and drunkenness, <laughs> but anyway, we we can do that uh, uh, another time, perhaps. But um, so, in terms of sexual attractiveness, uh, it, it then became, of course, very important for you when you were a teenager to attract uh, the dudes, uh, and uh, so then the physical vanity became more important, right? Right. Now, the um, again, I think 
being attractive is nothing wrong with it. Again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm trying to find the sort of mean here, right? The Aristotelian mean, the sort of balanced thing, right? But clearly, um, if we focus on the externalities to the point where they, um, where, we, where it costs us internally, then that becomes an issue, right? I mean, that becomes a, a sort of a problem. If we, if we uh, focus on only the internals to the point where we're sort of sitting in our own pig pen filth, that is not <laughs> particularly productive. But at the same time, if we focus only on the externals and we ignore our soul, so to speak, then that becomes sort of a, a problem too, right? Right. So why is it that you were trying to attract these shallow guys? <sighs> you didn't date any geeks, right? Huh? You didn't date any geeks, right? Oh, all I dated were geeks. <laughs> then why did you need to look good? <laughs> I don't look, know. women dated only geeks, the magazine, the fashion industry would be completely like For geeks, it's like a pulse, right? I mean, that's, like, that, that's the requirement, right? A pulse and the, uh, the willingness to look through the fiend folio on a Saturday night. That's all that, uh, that they're looking for, right? So how is it that you need all of this, uh, this vampiness to get the geeks? I don't understand. Um, I don't either. Um... I really, I mean, I just, I just never, ever got asked out. So it was just like, I guess, just anything sort of thing going on. And would you have considered yourself a feminist as a teenager? No, no. No? Okay. Uh, and why do you think you didn't get asked out? Um, I would, I, I would think that it came from my insecurity, but... Um, and I'm sorry, I, I was, don't understand, because you said you dated only geeks, but you didn't get asked out. So did you ask the geeks out? Yes. Ah, okay, okay. And did they say no to you unless you dress better? No. Okay, so I'm, you see there's some missing pieces here, right? Yeah. Was it that you were trying to attract people other than geeks, but settled for geeks? And there's nothing wrong with this I, man. I wish you'd gone to my high school when I was your age, but that's a different matter. Um <laughs> Uh, but uh, uh, was it that you wanted? Because you didn't need that for the geeks, right? Um, I guess I'm not really with you there because I just I I just thought that that's all any guy wanted. I mean, at the time, it's the external. Yeah. So you felt that men or dare we call them moys, because <laughs> they're so good, right? Um, ben? No, that's confusing. So you, you feel that the, the moys would not have been interested in you because of your intelligence or your wit or your, you know, education or your curiosity or any of those kind of stuff, or your willingness to say the sentence, wow, those are some beautifully painted figurines. <laughs> right. Right. So it was at this point in your um, life, there was an, you didn't have a sense of any value that you brought other than flesh and looks, right? Well, I mean, I thought I thought I had value in other areas. I just didn't think that any of that was what they were interested in. So you felt that that was part of the value that you had with female uh, friendships or relationships? I didn't really have female friendships or relationships. <laughs> okay. Um, so 
were there any relationships where you felt that your value other than um, the willingness to go out with geeks, which, again, I'm not saying that's a non-value, but um, were there any relationship your inner uh, beauty was something that you could, well, but, but that your inner beauty was part of? No, I don't think so. Mm. Okay, take a moment, because uh, we can't go through Falkland. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. Yeah, there just wasn't anything like that. I mean, there, I, I did have like a few friendships where we, it were kind of based on a sense of humor, but that was about it. So you could make people laugh, and that was uh, a value, right? Right. Okay, okay. All right. Um, so your value to other people was uh, to to the muis was based on your uh, your looks, right? Mm-hmm. And your your perception then of these man boys would not have been very positive then, right? Right. Well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but. Tom, I mean, that would seem to me to make sense, right? Yeah. So you wanted these, the, 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 the desire of boys that you did not respect, right? Yes, that is true. So can you step me through that? Because that, uh, I mean, it's not like I've never been there, but I just want to make sure I understand it from where, where you're coming from. Well, it, it was kind of like, okay, if I... if. If guys are interested in me, then I'll have value. I think. The you being your body and looks, right? Yeah. Not the you that we would understand, right? Right. Right, like, like, if I have a car, girls will like me. But of course, they like the car, right? Mm-hmm, yes. Okay, okay. And... I'm assuming that that has changed to some degree since then, right? Oh, yeah. Because you're like, man, if some bald guy can get happily married, then <laughs> that's another road to go, right? Um, but um, just kidding. Sorry. Right. But um, And giving me a wig. Whoa, funky. But... Um, so that has changed to some degree for you, right? I mean, you wouldn't say that your relationship with your boyfriend is entirely based entirely your looks and your body, right? Oh, not at all. Not at all? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Keep him off the line. Well, I, w I wouldn't say that at all. No, but, but sure, okay. Um, so at what point did that begin to change for you, and why? Um, I'd say toward the very end of high school when I got into objectivism and I started to get into philosophy and I'm and I um, just went through a lar a really important uh, time of personal growth then right so you were like hey where the smart geeks be at <laughs> <laughs> right the cave of objectivism do not go alone have somebody tie a rope to you you may be chewed um, okay, so so then you began to uh, have a more sort of uh, intellectual connection to to the men. Yes. And did that have any effect upon the physical side of things for you in terms of of uh, physical vanity? Yeah, I. Yeah, it's just 
I still had it to some degree for sure, but it, it really just became sort of the one of the real unimportant secondary things. Got it. Okay, I think I think I know what the answer is as to how your vanity helped you, if if you don't mind. I think we can close off the crime scene now. Um, we've dusted, <laughs> uh, and I think we're we're good to go. Do you, do you mind if we take it for a spin? Sure. Okay. If you had said as a teenager that I am not going to have any relationships that aren't based upon my intrinsic value, my thoughts, my emotions, my feelings, my deepest. A sense of who I am, what would have happened to your family relationships? They couldn't have existed. They could not have existed. So your vanity was to keep you in the orbit of your family at a time when you were not able to be independent. Right. Hey, this is one of your rights that I don't feel quite convinced of. Yeah, no, neither do I. Um, <laughs> Well, that was a very polite right. I do appreciate that. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can see that logically. Like, logically, it just makes sense. But I just didn't feel it for some reason. Right. Right. Do you have a pin? I'm going to try saying it again. No, I'm just kidding. Um... you you shallowed yourself out, right, from 10 to what? I guess 17 or 18? I'd say 16. Okay, so for 10 to 16, right? So for like six years, you kind of bot- bottomed out a little shallow there, right? Uh-huh. And what was uh, your relationship with your family like uh, in, in this time period? Um, pretty terrible. Right. Right. So you had people who were rejecting you for who you were, right? During this time period. Right. So. Right. Go on. I don't want to interrupt you on that thought. That. Yeah, that makes sense because if I had put that together to say, if yeah, if I if I only accept relationships of people who accept me as a person, I would have really seen that um, it would have been it would have become conscious to me that they didn't accept me as a person at all right 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 so uh, so you had to um, avoid that knowledge right so you had to shallow out your criteria for relationships just in order to continue to have food and roof over your head right right and then when you became old enough to become a little bit more independent what happened I was able to not avoid that anymore, I guess. Yeah, as far as I understand it from your bio, you joined the rap band called Fuck the Mascara, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> See, that wasn't convincing either. I was hoping you were going to break <laughs> there. <laughs> well, it's not like I went completely the other way. I just... Yeah, you didn't go all primate. I mean, I understand that, right? But But you deepened your criteria for the value of relationships, right? Yes, yes. So your vanity navigated you through, what you called your vanity, navigated you through a very difficult and dangerous part of your life, right? Yeah, that's true. And 
the reason that we need to integrate these parts, which we find distasteful, and I don't know if you remember me talking to our Oreo nihilist, uh, this uh, this uh, fellow uh, from last, I think last Sunday and the week before, um, that he needs to be able to see nihilists in order to be safe. You need to be able to see vain people in order to be safe, right? Right. In order to see them coming, in order to avoid them, in order to get their number, right? Now, this vain part of you saw the vanity and shallowness of your parents when you weren't even conscious of it, right? Yes. And altered your behavior accordingly. Yes. And then it magnificently and bravely gave up its grip upon your uh, makeup, so to speak, when you could be uh, different, you could be deeper, right? Yes. So that's pretty good, right? I mean, you basically had Barbie as a bodyguard. Yeah, I guess so. I just, I never would have thought to look at it that way. Well, <laughs> part of you does understand that completely, right? Yeah. And that's what I mean when I say, like, that, that we have to respect these aspects of ourselves that arose to, to help us, right? I mean, we, we don't just sort of suddenly start becoming self-destructive, right? Mm-hmm. And the amazing thing is how... I mean, this is part of the, to me, this deep and divine, dare I say, quasi-divine kind of unconscious knowledge that we have, which is like, oh, crap, right? <laughs> I am becoming deeper because I'm getting into my tweens and teens and so on, so I can't go there. I know that I can't go there, so I have to go the opposite and be shallow and only uh, focused on appearance, because if I start to go deeper, I'm going to detonate the family, right? And then that part of you says, okay, I think I sniffed the fact that we're now old enough to be somewhat independent, so I can ease back on that and we can start to pursue deeper relationships, right? And it's amazing. Yeah. And that's what I mean when I say, like, the Miko system is an astounding, astounding um, ability or power of, and that's why I say we're all geniuses and we're all philosophers, right? I mean, it's hard to even understand that in hindsight, but you did it instinctively at the time, right? Yeah. That is the power and the magnificence of, of the human mind. In my opinion, this is the most amazing aspect that we have, that we protect ourselves in incredibly sophisticated ways at the age of 10, at the age of 5, at the age of 2. It's just astounding. Yeah. So, um, far as good, and, sorry, you were going to say? And just, I mean, so I understand, like, the way that you would go about figuring out how a part of you developed is to first, I mean, start from very early history and, and just, I mean, what are the best sort of questions to ask? Um, well, I mean... I would sort of say myself, like if I have a thought that is occurring, recurring to me that I would sort of consider negative, right, then what I would do is I would say, why is this here? You know, where is this coming from? Where did this start? You know, was there a time in my life before this? Uh, has it, did it peak at any point? Has, has it diminished since? And I try to engage myself in conversation. I mean, again, this is part of the whole crazy-ass <laughs> counterintuitive ecosystem thing. But if I can't sort of find the thought behind it, then I will engage it as if it is an actual person, right? And say, okay, right. what's going on? 
what am I not listening to in myself that you keep, need to keep coming back and haunting me, right? And of course, we we know this, that it's this, the thing called conscience, and there's also all these myths about the ghosts that haunt us until we listen to them, right? That the ghosts that can only rest in peace when their secrets have been told and, and so on. We know this is all over the place in human mythology, and I think because it represents a very real psychological phenomenon that um, uh, aspects of ourselves that are defenses, you could say, are aspects of ourselves that arise out of stress or trauma, um, we don't reintegrate those. Uh, you know, we never call the soldiers back inside the city, and so they kind of turn on us, so to speak. But they want to rejoin, they want to be civilians, and they want to lay down their arms, but we have to respect them for what they did. And um, we have to not keep pushing them away, right? Because if this aspect of yourself, right, this, uh, this Barbie character or whatever, if this aspect of yourself arose out of you being rejected, you rejecting this character is only going to make it worse, right? Right. So you have to do the opposite of what provoked it in order to integrate that aspect of yourself. Right. So if this character arose because your parents were treating you with uh, and, and opposing your depth and opposing your intelligence for obvious reasons, they don't want your intelligence the same way that the counterfeiter doesn't want the counterfeit detection machine. If this character arose out of rejection uh, of you because you were deep, then the opposite of that is to accept the depth of your shallowness, which of course is a completely counterintuitive thing. I think is a very reasonable in the framework that we're talking about here. Right. Yeah, that helps, certainly. Good. Well, thank you. That was a, a challenge. Girly World is, uh, I, I normally don't go in alone, um, so I appreciate that. We were very gentle. Okay, well, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about with that? Oh, no, that's it. Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate your patience. It took a little while, but uh, that's uh, unf unfamiliar estrogen territory for me, so I try to do my best. <laughs> and it's my these things that I couldn't quite understand. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much, everybody, for dropping by this uh, fabulous uh, Sunday. Uh, the um, uh, sometime in March that is uh, a little too much, March the twenty fourth, um, and uh, I look forward to your donations. Drop by, pick up some books, throw us some cash, sign up for your subscriptions, and um, check out the premium podcasts of which there are now, I believe, well over a hundred. So thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you soon. <laughs>